Killing Eve, Season 3, Episodes 5 and 6 are both over. Episode 5 has been over for a little bit longer than Episode 6, but hey, here we are. We're just getting started talking about both of those hours of Season 3 of BBC America's Killing Eve. I'm Josh Wiggler. I'm joined here by Jessica Lees. And Jess, I think like we went to Russia and we got lost coming back. Um, I was too busy rocking out to Elton John to really think about uh-huh. where we were or what we were doing. But I do want to apologize to all the listeners who have been waiting with bated breath to hear what we thought about episode five, and they had to wait two extra weeks. So yes. here we are now. We have a lot of thoughts and very excited to lead the Crocodile Rock sing along later on in the episode. Yeah, what's with the Justin? There was so there's so much uh, so much Elton John love in this episode uh, in in episode five. Just like big Elton John fan, uh, maybe of everything that Villanelle went and found in her hometown, that may have surprised me the most. Like the fact that her mom was kind of a psycho, not a surprise, right? Like that felt like pretty pretty on point. Um, the fact that she was going to go home and kill one of her parents. Not that much of a shock. That's very like, on brand for Villanelle. <laughs> that was pretty on brand. Like if you were going to have the bingo card of what was going to happen when when Villanelle went home, uh, killing her mom would probably be like at the center of it. Um, but yeah, just like her her uh, her brother being all into to Elton John, that was a surprise. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. I think maybe my favorite thing that came out of that episode was um, the actress who plays Villanelle. Tweets out a photo of herself, like wearing the Elton John get up, and then Elton yep. John replies to her. Yep, yeah, that's great. That was- Elton John being a Killing Eve fan is maybe not a huge surprise. That makes sense. To also, me. very on brand for yeah, hundred <laughs> percent. All right, so we're going to talk about episode uh, five of season three. We'll talk about episode six of season three. We'll probably bounce around a lot because while we missed uh, podcasting about episode five last week i actually think that where we are right now in the season shifts sort of naturally from episode four uh like if you can kind of you can kind of consider episode five like a long extended scene within the greater context of even episode six i think the big purpose of that sojourn for villanelle is really that old adage of you can't go home. And it does feel like Villanelle just wants something new, wants something different, wants something very, very separate from the life she's living right now. She's not going to find that when she goes home. She's going to find at first like some peace with the place that she, you know, uh, comes from. She's going to love like the dung throwing competition. It's probably like the best day we've ever seen her have is everything that's going on there. But her mom is terrible. She causes chaos on her way out of town. She's in for the promotion, as we see in episode six, but it's not quite what she wants, right? Like, it seems like she's still going to be a contract killer, and she doesn't seem like she wants any of that anymore. So I think the the arc that we're getting from Villanelle uh, is very consistent across five and six, that it seems like sh- what she wants most is just, like, something completely, totally new and different. Yeah, I think the thing that would have made it very hard for us to talk about episode five in a vacuum is that we put a pause button on everything else that was happening on the show and just kind of did a little side quest. And, you know, sometimes you can make some great episodes of television out of those. And I would argue that this was a very entertaining hour of television, but it was also left her kind of exactly where she was. Like she may have had some truths about herself that she didn't have before, but we didn't know literally anything else that was going on in the story where we didn't further us at all. So I think, It makes sense to think about episode five as just sort of an offshoot of episode six. 
Yeah, I think so as well. Um, is there anything from her trip home that really stood out to you other than the Elton John stuff? Uh, which was, of course, funny. Like the, the big dance sequence was really, really amazing. And the moment where Villanelle finally starts to like break into it and she busts out the big, la! And we just cut to a commercial from there was, I thought, really, really excellently executed. Yeah, that was hilarious. And here is, I, I have to tell you the funniest, creepiest thing that happened around that. So I watched the episode on a Wednesday and on the Tuesday night, my best friend's husband, who is a music teacher, posts that he has been challenged by one of his music teacher friends to post a musical moment in his family. And so he posts this video of himself and his three young children going around the literal dinner table, literally singing along and dancing to Crocodile Rock. That's crazy. Then 24 <laughs> hours later, I watched the screener of Killing Eve in which they do the exact same thing. And I was like, okay, you guys, like, put the kids to bed and then watch this week's Killing Eve. Even if you don't follow the show, you kind of need to see this. That's really amazing. It was That's very great. creepy. Yeah, I don't know. Like, there's, there's, there are ways in which uh, there are forces at work to which we do not understand their meaning. Jess, it's true. Uh, one of them is certainly Elton John. Uh, <laughs> He's his own guy, and you know, I, I have to say, the best book I've read all year is Elton John's autobiography. Oh, sweet, cool. So, highly Go recommend. Do you think ghostwritten? No, I do not think ghostwritten. I think he might have had some help with editing, but it is very much his voice and his stories, and it's a wild ride. Uh, it's a wild ride back home in Mother Russia as Villanelle is getting reacquainted with her family. Um, it seems like it's all great at first, like she's bonding with her brother. Uh, this other kid is really great. Um, but it does seem like her mom is maybe not the best. Uh, and it comes out that her mom really does not want Villanelle around anymore. Well, did not want her around starting at a very young age. Apparently, and I think this is kind of the pivotal point that we find out that Villanelle was dumped in an orphanage by her family when she was a child because they yeah. didn't know how to handle her. And she was apparently the the family was told that she was killed in the orphanage. And they didn't bother to fact check this at all because they were like, OK, great. Don't have to one less thing, you know. Right. So. I can see why Villanelle may be a little out of sorts about that. Yeah, uh, she's not happy. I think I think she came home hoping for a better answer than she got, uh, and it does culminate in this this really uh, powerful confrontation between herself and her mom uh, about how you were never a happy person. She's like, that's not true. Uh, she said, no, you were bad from the beginning. You didn't cry when you were a baby. Uh, she's like, that's a bullshit myth that that's meant to make you feel better. I didn't cry. Of course I cried. And her mom says, you ruined me. You took everything from me. You took him. You could control him. Her husband, she means he would do anything for you because you had a darkness. You had this darkness. He thought you would do something to us, to me. Um, and when she says, like, get out of my house, that's when Villanelle is <laughs> a really great line. I think something that she's going to carry with her for the rest of her life. Uh, I think I need to kill you, Mom. Uh, and we do not see the act. We just see the aftermath. Yeah. But I, I did enjoy Villanelle getting close to her two brothers now. Because yeah. that was something... You would think if she was a pure psychopath, this is not something that would 
occur to her to spare them or even really get to know them. And it seems like she really did. So it's interesting that she's kind of seems to be turning a corner there. She's not been terribly interested in anybody else but herself and what she wants up to this point. And then we see her kind of commit this very generous act, not only in sparing their lives, but she really seems interested in what they're, what they're doing. And she has this kind of, and I want to talk about this trope because it's something we've seen across a lot of shows where you have somebody who is kind of morally compromised or, you know, shows slight psychopathic tendencies. And then they have this soft spot for children. Yeah. And I'm thinking specifically of Jesse Pinkman. Yeah. Uh, is one of those people. And like anytime you could get to him by having him have this relationship with a kid. And I thought they tried to subvert this at the beginning of season two, where you had Villanelle sharing a room with that poor little kid who's been disfigured. And she has this conversation with him. And then she's like, oh, well, it would be a mercy killing to dispatch him and steal his clothes. Right. And this is a very different reaction. And maybe it's because it's her own family, but it sure seems like something in her is opening up a little bit. It's probably that she won the the dung throwing competition. Well, hey, that was a pretty kick-ass electric fan. Yeah, it's a, she won an oscillating fan. Who doesn't want an oscillating fan, especially as we're heading into the summer? Yeah, you might say I'm a fan. I don't know if it's like a huge commodity in like super cold Russia, uh, but I also don't know Russia well enough to know that it doesn't get hot. Maybe it does. I have no idea. Yeah, you know, it probably has a couple of warm days in the summer. And I think yeah. that's sort of a, it feels to me like kind of a holdover Soviet joke. That that's the sort of thing that you would be excited to win at a carnival in the middle of nowhere in Russia. Uh-huh. <laughs> I loved the whole festival sequence. The whole festival sequence I thought was really, really amazing. Uh, just like all the stuff that was there, like the food judging competition, like the huge like chess field that they had, um, getting to meet all around the performance troupe, uh, which was very funny when Villanelle says... Is that your name because you all get around? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> because the one woman was pregnant. Uh, it's really, really, really funny. Um, I think that she just, I, I think uh, episode six really bears this out more. And that's why I think it, it's useful to merge the conversation of the two episodes. Is that for Villanelle, it seems like she wants to get out the game, right? Yeah. And it seemed like there was prior to going home. And prior to her promotion coming through, there was one way she saw that happening. It was like, well, I could keep working for this company, but in a slightly different role, so I'm not out there committing murder. And then she sort of comes to realize over the course of these two episodes that there's really no way that she can continue to do what she's doing and be fulfilled. Right. And so she needs to get out entirely. But of course, the 12 do not make that easy. Yeah, yeah. But I, I, maybe I'm an idiot and wasn't piecing this together enough well on my own. But Constantine's trying to break out of the 12 as well? I think Constantine, I mean, he has been dissatisfied for a while with what he's doing, but I think he's afraid because of that $6 million that he has to find. I think it's becoming more clear that that he has had something to do with its disappearance. Right. Or at the very least, he is responsible for it and is not going to be able to cough it up. So I think that is more his rationale for wanting to get out. 
It feels to me like Constantine has the money and Constantine is looking to dip and Villanelle wants in on that. And that's what Constantine is saying is like, if you want in on this, you got to know that everything that it is that you like about your life right now, all of your material possessions, all of this is going to go away. Uh, Like the only way out is going to be through extraordinary action. Like that seems to be the conversation at the hockey game um, in episode six. And I don't know, like I, I obviously I think that we will have Villanelle on the show for a good little while. Um, but Constantine's trying to make a break for it. And especially when he wants everything to be completely normal, but there is a murder by his daughter committed at the end of this episode. Uh, like how is this going to hold moving forward? Yeah. Well, I think that that is an interesting scene to talk about because the murder happens right after she spends a lot of time hanging out with Villanelle. Right. And you have to think it maybe came up like, oh yeah, I just got back from a little side trip to kill my parents. And the conversation they have around that is really interesting. And I think it's weird that it kind of flips that switch in her. Yeah, it seems like maybe she feels like uh, if Villanelle is daddy's favorite and Villanelle can go and kill her mom, maybe this will make daddy love me a little bit more. Yeah, I think I think so. And she puts up a good front that she doesn't really care what daddy thinks of her, but it's pretty obvious. Uh, I love Arena. I think she's a great character. The more we have of her on the show, the happier I'll be. Uh, I I think that her and Villanelle are a really funny combo. I think her and Constantine are great. Um, And I was like, I was very alarmed, but very intrigued by that final scene of the episode of her just running somebody down. Yeah. And it wasn't even like anybody that had mistreated her anyway. Like her stepfather seems to be, by all accounts, a pretty totally fine. nice guy. Yeah. yeah, totally. Yeah, yeah. So that was interesting to note, I think. But how does that how does that rock their plan, though? Right? Like that's another question. Is like clearly Constantine wants to dip, wants Arena with her. Uh, how does this mess with things? Like this is a pretty I mean, big mess to clean up. I mean, does it though? Can't they just dip? Yeah. Were they ready though? Was it time? Yeah. Yeah. It seemed like maybe she was, maybe part of that was she was kind of pushing them along. Yeah. She's like, yeah, let's go. <laughs> yeah, it's like, let's wind it up. Let's wind it up. Let's get out of here. Uh, but where does that leave Villanelle? Is Villanelle, uh, is, she, is she ready to rock as well? Yeah, well, that's, I think she's going to be a little bit torn. But of course, you know, nobody's going to end up in Cuba. God, no, absolutely not. Well, maybe, but no one will stay there. Uh, this is a globe-trotting show, Jess. Uh, could Killing Eve spend some time in Cuba? I wouldn't put it past Killing Eve to spend some time in Cuba. Well, here's an interesting thought, Josh. They actually they never leave Europe. They pretty much never true. have. It's and it's really interesting that even... Yeah, I've read the first of the three Villanelle novels, and I intend to get around to the other two one of these days. Overall, a recommendation, but- would you say, or no? You know, I like the show a lot better. Yeah. I don't know if that is necessarily a reflection on how good the novels are or not, but I think the show has done a very good job of taking the most interesting pieces out of the novels and blowing them out into a full and um, nuanced universe where I don't think the books are quite as good at that. Yeah, yeah. But one thing that I did note, and it stuck out to me right away because there are a few scenes that they've kind of lifted almost entirely from the books, and one of them was the murder of the fat panda, where they talk about he goes to a fetish club, but he doesn't go to a fetish club in Berlin in the books. He is 
staying close to home in China, but yet this show does not choose to go to China at that point. And they very well could have, but why does Killing Eve, the show, stick so close to where they are? And I don't think it's necessarily a location thing, because you could certainly fake anything you want to fake, whether by green screens or by going someplace that looks sort of like where you're intending to go. Yeah. Um, maybe, you know, a, a couple of things come to mind. One is that uh, the BBC America show wants to stay in BBC, you know, like <laughs> wants to stay like in, in, in that, in that uh, general part of the world. Um, but the other piece of me could be thinking like, could like a big, when you look at like these great shows, uh, Oftentimes, there is like sort of like that mid series reset or like that mid series like huge pivot. And could a huge pivot be coming in the form of uh, either going to America or at least le- uh, leaving Europe? Um, could something like that be in the cards? Like, could Eve go home, right? Like, if Villanelle has gone home, um, you know, could that be something that we get in Eve's future? Um, so it's it's compelling to me. Um, it does feel likelier that the plan to leave to extricate themselves from the 12 from all of this is going to end somehow not as planned uh, just because things tend to not go the way that they're supposed to go. Plus, Villanelle tagging along with Constantine and Arena is as per Constantine, you would never get to see her again. Her being villain, uh, being yeah. Eve, and Villanelle yeah. does not know about any of the stuff that's happened to Nico, who I guess we spoke too soon. Uh, rest, but not necessarily full, like the the full R.I.P. quite yet. Nico, um, she doesn't seem like she's fully hip to everything that's happened there. Maybe she still thinks that there is something uh, to a, rela- a relationship with Eve eventually. Though I think we also have to say, kind of feels like Eve doesn't believe Villanelle did this either. Yeah, it seems like she is, she knows, like, Villanelle already told her that she wasn't going to do anything to Nico, and so that's kind of off limits. But I have to say, Josh, one of the things that does make me sad that we didn't do a podcast last week, and we're kind of talking about two episodes in one, we did not get to kick off this podcast, like, freaking the F out right. about the fact that Nico's not dead, because we just assumed he was. We talked about totally, him as he was. Totally, totally, totally thought he was, was dead. <laughs> Total blindside. I don't know that I love it, too, is the thing. Like, there were some funny gags that came out of it. Like, when he, like, kicks his dad out of the room and then, like, writes down on the thing, like, piss off forever. (laughs) It's, like, very funny. Um, But how did he survive? How did he survive that? He got stabbed through the throat with a pitchfork and i would i would i would uh be more on board with it if eve acted like remarkably quickly right if eve you know uh leapt into action and immediately like you know put a tourniquet on whatever uh but instead she like dropped to her knees in disbelief and that's where we left that scene of her just like watching from a distance in disbelief that's precious time on the board jess to stop the bleeding how the hell did nico live yeah, and that seems to, it feels like that would have made the situation so much more complicated and interesting if Eve had just, like, whipped into MI6 agent mode and sprinted over and saved his life. Then that complicates their relationship again, because he now owes his life to her, but she's also the reason that he almost got murdered. There was none of that. There was none of that. I mean, it's played for laughs. 
Eve seems like, not that she's doing great, but she moves on pretty quickly to suspecting that this wasn't Villanelle's doing. She's connecting the, you know, the, the, the hit from long ago with the chalk dust, uh, to, uh, to the, to the, to pap- the paprika assassination from a couple of weeks earlier. Uh, and so she's, she's connecting it to Dasha and connecting that Dasha is running Villanelle to the point that she's going to meet Dasha for, uh, what I thought was the best scene. Uh, of episode six of just the two of them strike 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 both of them just like <laughs> total killers in bowling uh was really really fun even though eve is like i've never bowled before <laughs> she's just like a natural uh no, was she fun. was she was hustling i think so uh, uncle phil style for sure total pool shark <laughs> um but That's a deep uh, Emily loves that one. We we talk about that. Uh, uh, Jeffrey, bring me Lucille. Uh, Emily busts that out quite often <laughs> in our house. Wow. Uh, yeah. Uh, if that if that wasn't something that we were saying around the Negan times, uh, I'd be shocked. Has to have uh, come up at least the once. Yeah. Um, but I I think the the fact that Nico is alive maybe softens some of that to the point of like. Why did that need to happen in the narrative? I may I may feel right now um, a little bit lost in the midsection of season three right now. Am I alone on that? Do you feel like is the is the story a little bit adrift at the moment? Yeah, there are some things where I'm thinking we've talked about a lot of these plot holes and things that confuse us that if they don't have a really good fourth dimensional chess kind of way of getting out of them and explaining to us, this is why it needed to happen this way. Then I feel like I'm going to be a little bit let down by the end of the season. And, you know, we've talked about this a lot where I'm like, I don't know about this. And you said, have faith. They're really smart. They know you're going to be thinking these exact things. I'm starting to think that Maybe I'm right and you're wrong. I think it's not impossible. Uh, certainly not impossible. And I think it's it, it could be likely. I, I, I have been left a little cold by the past two weeks of the show. Um, I, I actually, there's a lot that I like in episode five just as like a character piece. Uh, and I think Jodie Comer is so great. And all of like the performance stuff, none of that has changed. All of that is really, really top marks. Um, and there have also been some really compelling dramatic scenes of espionage and subterfuge that have that have really still hooked me in like everything that's going on uh with um with carolyn and her and her boss uh, uh do you work for the 12 do you work for the 12 uh that was a great <laughs> scene that was really really great and of course he works for the 12 uh you know like that 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 was really really lovely and i thought that that was put together very well but that's also a very 24 thing to do. And that is like the thing that I have said a couple of times. Like there's been like the moments that feel like a little 24 y. Uh, and I think the Nico thing oddly feels like the most 24 ish of all, where if they were going to do all of that to him, just kill him off. You know, what's the, what's the point of, uh, of just sticking a fork in this guy to further, you know, make this man's world worse as like a joke. It really does play like a joke the first time you see him and he's just hooked up to all the machines. My first reaction was both like, Oh, he's alive. And then it was laughing. You know, it was a lot of laughter at the, at the nature of the scene. I know that this is a show that blends drama and comedy uh, with, you know, uh, with, with, you know, great ease. It, it, it lives in those two worlds. Um, But for me, it just felt like, there wasn't a great reason to do everything that they were doing with Nico, unless it was literally to get Eve 
on Dasha's path? And was that something that needed to happen for, for Eve to find out who Dasha was? Like, how did this actually greatly impact the relationship between Eve and Villanelle when that was the whole purpose of what Dasha did? Dasha stabs him and blames Villanelle, like frames Villanelle for, for the hit. And Eve sees through it. Is, are, are we not being generous enough to the show that the point from that is that Eve and Villanelle are so connected that Eve sees through it. And that's actually a really big statement about Eve and her relationship with Villanelle. Or are we being fair and being like, we went through all of that just to like get Eve a face to face with Dasha. There wasn't a, like a, a tighter, faster way of doing that. Well, and the interesting thing, Josh is all of that could have happened if Nico had died. The one reason you might keep him alive, narratively speaking, would be for Eve to have a conversation with Nico where he knows Villanelle. He's met Villanelle. She's kept him in a storage locker and kind of tortured him psychologically for a while. And the thing that would be a reason to keep him alive is for him to tell Eve it was not Villanelle who stabbed me in the throat with a pitchfork. Right. And he didn't do that, and she got on no, Dasha's tail anyway. No, he said piss off forever. <laughs> yeah, he's, all he said was piss off forever. He didn't, <laughs> yeah. didn't really help, and she kind of knows it's Dasha without having to ask him. Yeah. So there's no reason for him to be alive except for us to just like have a little schadenfreude moment. Yeah, and um, listen, I'm glad to have even Dasha on each other's radars at this point. I think that the scene between them was really cool. Um, you know, Dasha, like, nobody wins the bowling match. Uh, they both just bowl perfectly. Uh, but Dasha gets to walk away being like, do you think that there is any world in which you win here? Um, and Eve is, is still kind of like defiantly barking up that tree. What do you think that Eve wanted from Dasha here? Is this going to be a thing where much in the way that Eve was like drawn to Villanelle, like is the arc here going to be Jess that as Villanelle wants to get out the game, Eve's going to find herself wanting to get in deeper. Like, is Villanelle going to end up being like an MI6 asset? And is Eve going to work for the 12th? Is she going to become like a highly trained killer? I can't imagine Eve going that far into the rabbit hole, but I do think, I do think there's a chance that Eve will somehow weaponize Villanelle against Dasha. I think after the knowledge that Dasha's trying to frame Villanelle to put a wedge between her and Eve, I think there is a point where Dasha has hit a point of no return. She does not leave this season alive. And I think we have, she has put herself into a corner where Villanelle is not going to be happy with her when she finds out all of this has happened. And I think Villanelle will feel protective of Eve and also annoyed with Dasha because she Villanelle is not getting to do the things she wants to do. Like there's just like thing after thing after thing that is putting Dasha deeper onto Villanelle's shit list. Yeah. So I think, Vil- I think Villanelle kills Dasha at the end of this season. Well, Villanelle is obviously like all out of F's to give. Uh, she's once again, pretty sloppy. She has another hit job here in episode six where she fries the guy, um, but she doesn't get away from it without getting stabbed. Right. Yeah. She leaves some DNA at the scene. That's no good. That's very bad. It's very bad. And so I, you, you got to wonder how that's going to come into play. Uh, is it going to be just as simple as like that's a way for Eve and Carolyn to identify that Villanelle was at this site? Um, is it going to you know, be bad enough that 
she gets connected like she has a bloody footprint in addition to like the bloody scissors that are left behind um is she going to be like really on the radar of the 12 after that like is it not just that the authorities are going to be after villanelle has villanelle bungled this to the point that even the 12 is going to be after her Um, i don't know she they the clown killing was pretty bungled and they didn't seem upset with her after that. That's true. I mean, the, there's often a bungling to, <laughs> to so many of the killings. Killing on Killing is Eve. not easy, Josh. <laughs> I've never tried it, uh, you know, other than the occasional bug or two. So I, I don't really know. Um, speaking of bugs, there's a little bit of forward momentum on the Constantine stuff with regards to Carolyn and Carolyn's house. Uh, did did Geraldine really try to kiss Constantine? Is that a thing? Did we we, we didn't see we that didn't happen, see that did happen? We? I no. feel like we would have been we would have talked about that at great length had we witnessed it. The show goes out of its way this week to have um you know Carolyn giving you know reading the riot act to to Constantine stranding him in the middle of the road and like try, trying to figure out everything that's going on with him and what do you want with my daughter. And we get the scene between Carolyn and Geraldine about how you're the daughter I couldn't figure out. Kenny was mine. You were your dad's. I never really got you. Um, but we can have dinner together and I can eat your cooking and I can tell you it tastes great and I can pretend to understand you and we can have that level of peace. What's that in here for? What's the reason um, to have all of that stuff on the board? I thought it was just an interesting contrast with watching Villanelle have a very similar mother-daughter dynamic with her mother and handle it very differently and just not get assassinated uh by by being super super harsh yeah like nobody gets assassinated there but i think it's also i think it's also underlining that geraldine is not an operative for the 12 josh yeah i think that i think we learn enough about geraldine to know that that's not a thing that's going Mm, to happen what rules that out for you uh, what rules that out for me is that she's just like she just doesn't have the people skills to handle Carolyn the way that Carolyn should be handled this scene. I think and I also think like she's just she sort of panics in the moment when she's talking about Constantine. And the way that they have talked about the this relationship dynamic, I just don't see any like fourth dimensional chess way that all of that, like the refrigerator magnet and all the conversations with Constantine, there's no way that that, I don't think that boils down to any kind of plot against Carolyn. Unless it's deep cover and she's just really good at pretending to be really bad at handling people because she's secretly so good at it because she's secretly a super spy. (sighs) No. She's a spy. She's not a spy. She's a spy. Of course, I said I didn't think Dante was. Really good, how that <laughs> yeah, out. we saw how that turned out. Um, what about uh, aside from just being a really great scene with uh, with Carolyn and Paul, uh, where they kind of show down and are you part of the twelve? Are you part of the twelve? Uh, can I trust you? Of course not. That's why we're in the game. Um, what do you think are going to be some of the plot ramifications of this revelation that Paul is part of the 12? Is that as big of a deal as maybe it reads on first glance, or is it maybe not quite that big of a deal because maybe the bigger deal is that like Carolyn really is part of the 12, right? Like it feels like that could be a possibility still. 
yeah, that could be a possibility. It seems like they would know about each other, or at least he would know about her, or she would know about him, depending on who's higher in the pecking order. But it could be like this this matter of like, are you going to say it? No. Are you going to say it? Like, who says it first? Like, I'm not going to say it until you say it. Yeah, it's like they're in a relationship and they're trying to tell each other they love them. Yeah. Yeah, I, I don't know. I think... I think we're still, the jury is still out on what Carolyn's involvement with the 12 is. And I think maybe having, having Paul be the guy on the inside is just, I think that's a point in the cons column for Carolyn having any involvement with the 12 apart from the involvement we see on the screen. Unless they, they're bringing him in to keep a closer eye on Carolyn because Carolyn is going to crack now that Kenny's gone. Like, do they feel like, they need to keep a tighter leash on her, something like that. Um, but I don't I know. I also think they wouldn't have killed Kenny if she was working for them. Right. They would have probably tried to find a better way to, to rein that in. They would have tried to, I think they would have tried to recruit him probably. Yeah, I think that's likely. Um, what else from, from this episode, from End of Game, that stood out to you? Um. Dasha taking bites out of lemons with <laughs> peel and seeds and all is messed up. Look, as somebody who eats a full kiwi, uh, I know I'm not supposed to judge, but the truth is you can eat a full kiwi, skin and all. Don't eat like the, 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 the rock hard ends on either side of the kiwi. That stuff's gross. And wipe off as much of the, the, the hairiest stuff as you can. But you can eat the full thing, and the skin is actually a piece of it. Like, it tastes good. It's, like, part of the flavor, and it's nutrient-rich. But to just, like, go and eat the straight lemon, like, uh, that's, that's intense for me. That's too bitter. You know, Josh, you're so preoccupied with talking about whether or not you could. <laughs> you didn't stop to think about whether you should. <laughs> it's true. I never considered that. That is absolutely correct. That was just not part of my calculus. It's just <laughs> not never once did I did I stop down for that. So are you, are you working for the twelve? Is this like some kind of weird initiation ritual to get into the assassins club? You have to eat a whole piece of fruit with the rind and all. I don't know. Uh, are you secretly auditioning for the twelve? Are you eating full citruses that I'm not aware of, Jess? Bro, I peel my fruits. <laughs> bro. I, I, I will sometimes take a bite out of the orange to get the peel started. Oh, yeah, that's a pro move. Yeah, you have to do that. And you have to have like the taste buds that can weather such an ordeal. Because uh, the fastest way through the peel is to just like uh, bite the thing. Uh, yep. Unless like your nails are like long enough to like kind of get through. Mine are freshly cut as of this morning. Uh, so all future citrus is probably going to require a little bit of a, a kickstart in order to peel. Well, that's the best way to do it. And also, you can eat eggshells, which is a thing I've learned in my quarantine-related deep dive into doomsday prepping. You can grind up the eggshells and make some kind of powder out of them, and it's rich in calcium. Oh, okay. I didn't actually do it. I fed them to the tomatoes, but, you know, it's a thing. That's It's an option. I had some uh, some eggshell calcium in uh, my fried egg that I made the other day. Uh, it was not intentional, but I ate yeah, it anyway. Yeah, seem intentional. I ate it anyway. I just ate it anyway. Um, yeah, you're not going to die. I think that's probably a relief. Um, we've got Beautiful Monster is the penultimate episode of Killing Eve. Can you believe that there are two episodes left? It feels like at once there's a lot to do. And by the other hand, I'm not really sure what they're trying to do this year. Um, where do you think we're going with two more episodes left this season? I think we end up. I think we end up with. Dasha is going to die. 
I think Constantine gets out, Villanelle may or may not go out with him. I think we've been building up to this, like, can we get away from all of this sort of situation? And I think, I think we do get sort of a, what looks like a, he may or may not come back next season situation for Constantine. Yeah. And I think we see, we see Villanelle either go with him or choose not to go with him because she wants to stay with Eve. Interesting. Do you think that there's a reconciliation in their future for this season? I think there must be. There's always a reconciliation for them. Yeah. That's kind of how they roll on this show. Yeah. Um, I could see it. I could see it. We pull them apart. We push them together. We pull them apart. We push them together. Yeah, I just, I wonder if Villanelle gets out of the 12, Eve gets in deeper, and like in some ways their, their roles have reversed for the future. And for like season four, is it like even Constantine are more of a pair while Villanelle and Carolyn are a bit of a pair, uh, tracking each other down? Like if Cat and Mouse is the name of the game on this show, is the next step, like the next logical thing to keep playing Cat and Mouse, but like shift the roles, who's Cat, who's Mouse? It could be, but I can't see anything that would motivate Eve to want to be working for the Twelve when her entire being up until this point has been working against them. Yeah. Or maybe not even working for them so much as, like, being under their thumb. Like, especially if, like, Constantine gets caught trying to get out and there's some reason to keep him alive and Eve gets caught and there's some reason to keep her alive. Is there some world where the two of them are kind of being forced together under the thumb of the Twelve? Like they're tied um, together in front of a fireplace, like right, in Indiana yes, Jones and the Last yes, Crusade. Exactly that. Exactly that. I think would be great. Uh, and I think also uh, I can imagine Eve not being super interested in working with the Twelve, but I could imagine the Twelve and with all of their influence maybe esteeming themselves highly enough that they could get Eve to work for them and would want Eve to work for them, see the talent in Eve. Um, so I wouldn't throw that off the table just yet. Yeah, and we see Villanelle um, getting her title changed, but no actual responsibility change. I think, I think she's going to have to change. hashtag relatable content. Indeed, <laughs> boy, that I've never related harder to this program. Yeah, that was just really, I was like, oh yeah, sure, I know that. <laughs> That's happened before. Uh, yeah, she's pretty upset about all of that. So. I don't know. We'll, we'll, we'll see where it's all going. I feel like, uh, it feels like we just got started and yet we're so close to the end of the line. Uh, it just feels like it all went too quickly. Yeah. And it sure seems like everything we talk, we've been hashing out, whether we think this piece is true or this piece is true, the closer and closer we get to that finish line, the less and less likely it feels that it is anything resembling fourth dimensional chess. I think it's got to be Oxum's razor every time the closer we get to the end point. Okay, well, we'll see. We'll be back next week for sure. We will be back talking season three, episode seven, Beautiful Monster. We really appreciate it. Oh, it's season three, episode seven, Josh. Let's call Robin Akiva. Yeah, oh, that would be fun. Should we have Robin Akiva come on and they have no idea what the hell they're watching? I like that idea. Let's see if they're available. I guess let's let's see the quality of the episode first. Uh, Like if it's a very serious episode and you and I have a ton to chew on, maybe let's (laughs) let's 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 wait. Maybe we'll bring them on for twenty minutes at the end. Yeah, we could see. We could see if they if they've got any interest. Uh, I have a feeling that they are going to politely decline. (laughs) I I have a feeling it's not going to be so polite. Uh, I think it's just going to be a decline. Hard no. Uh, But we'll be back. Jess and I will be back. 
talking about it either way we appreciate your patience very much in these strange times uh thank you for giving us the rope uh to take the week off we'll be back next week jess what else is going on with you you're on the twitters at haymaker hattie what are people getting when they follow you there um they're getting not very much lately i i haven't had a whole lot to do but i am I am writing some pieces for primetimer.com. I have a piece that went up this week in conjunction with the the interactive special on Netflix uh, involving the unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt. That was very fun to write about. I have something coming up about Hannah Gadsby's new stand-up special. And I'm hoping to write something about Killing Eve. I just got to see where we think it's going to wind up. All right. We'll find out where it's going to wind up. Uh, two more weeks. That's it. Two more weeks of Killing Eve. We'll be talking about it here on Post Show Recaps where we got a lot of stuff going on. The Everything is Super podcast is super strange this week as Mike Bloom joins Kevin Mahadeo and I for another spin of the Brant Steel uh, that we love so much. The Marvel Survivor simulation. It's real. It's happening. It's landing uh, in, in just a little while should be out by Tuesday morning. We'll have an early lost down the hatch podcast this week for lockdown. Uh, and then Mike and I are working on some shenanigans for the 10th anniversary of the series finale of lost, uh, which is coming up on, on Saturday. Uh, so stay tuned to down the hatch, stay tuned to everything. Super stay tuned to killing even stay tuned to post show recaps writ large as we've got stuff going on here until then, everybody take care. Bye. Bye. Baby, so is she. Teams up with Carolyn. Now, baby, that's a dream. If she's wake, somebody's gonna die. On a day off, all high fashion, looking fly. When she kills, you know your mama's gonna cry. I got a question, just ask Kenny. He's your guy. Billy.